Is that true? For While supplies last wow. for students. And free massages starting at 530. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's a study break game. That's right. So it's a 635 game against Notre Dame on Tuesday night. And uh, no reason not to make it I'll out to that one. I exam during it. Which oh, yeah. <laughs> I have class. Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Iowa this weekend. 6.35 to start on Friday night, 1 o'clock for Saturday and Sunday matinees from Ann Arbor before Ohio State comes into town for graduation weekend one weekend from now. That'll do it here for us in studio. For everyone, join us this week for the DSR Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 5.15 to 5.30. Game of the week from 7 to 10 on Friday night. And baseball and softball all week long. We'll have it on the WCBN Sports Stream. Find all the links through mazeandblog.blogspot.com. For everyone in studio, I'm Jeremy saying so long and good night from Ann Arbor. Navarre gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan! And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27-24. And the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. WCBN.org. On to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath Ann Arbor as Navarre gets set. Places down. Kick is up. It's long enough. It's good. It's good. Michigan wins the game. Michigan shocks Washington. And the Wolverines are victorious. radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM, WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding. Licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Well, it's time for another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and I have a hunch that Jim won't be here tonight. Something probably came up at the last second, and I neglected to check my messages before I left. I was enjoying some sunshine today. Anyway, um, this, of course, is the 15th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. We're not really going to talk about that. On tonight's show, uh, but it is uh, bizarre that there was a massive gun rally uh, down uh, in Washington today 
on this date. And, of course, Tim McVeigh was a gun nut who uh, thought that uh, the government was taking away his guns. This, of course, is uh, complete baloney. Uh, there's no evidence of it. In fact, ironically, there's actually been an, a massive boom in gun uh, sales uh, since Bar uh, Barack Obama became president. In any event, uh, all sorts of uh, interesting things going on. I guess we'll have to rename Iceland, Ashland. <laughs> uh, this is disrupting uh, air travel, and uh, I, this may be the final nail in the coffin of some of these airlines, because uh, I think it was Warren Buffett who once said that uh, nobody in a hundred years of man flying man around has made a dime off the uh, airline industry with one exception, Howard Hughes. And that was because he was forced to sell TWA under antitrust laws, which he gladly did because at that time in his bizarre life he was uh, oh, uh, closeting himself up in Las Vegas uh, with a uh, irrational phobia of germs and a rather healthy phobia of nuclear uh, testing that was going on in Vegas. In fact, he became obsessed with that issue. Uh, Howard Hughes, we won't talk about tonight either. Um, but I guess we can talk about a variety of other um, interesting stories that uh, popped up this week. On to the gun thing, just real quickly, uh, to, to finish that up. So we'll give the, the Tea Party Express a brain damage award. Um, I don't know what it is about the gun nuts in this country. I've never understood uh, their obsession with it. But uh, the Tea Party Express, it's uh, now been revealed, uh, gave $350,000 to help make Scott Brown the new Republican senator from Massachusetts. Um, and uh, that is an interesting number because this was a special election with very unusual circumstances. Anyway, uh, on to guns and some of their uh, obsessions with uh, owning assault rifles and whatnot. It was reported on the 23rd of October uh, in the New York Times, ironically in the business section, um, in connection with a particular company uh, that I won't mention, but was uh, producing a uh, assault rifle called SR-556, um, which was being marketed for, quote, shooting varmints and for, quote, unquote, personal defense, according to uh, its maker. Gun collectors uh, have feared a, uh, and I don't have the actual author of this clipping, that's uh, regrettable on my part, but uh, it was in the New York Times business section, um, the SR-55 is not available in blue state strongholds like Massachusetts and California, um, the article notes. And uh, Smith & Wesson, which is a very famous gun maker that I don't mind mentioning the name of, uh, has diversified itself into security systems, according to Cerebrus. Um, and uh, the gun plans to float a freedom group soon. <laughs> uh, guns and freedom. You figure that one out. Guns equals freedom. Freedom equals guns. Hmm. There's a uh, illogical syllogism there. 
Anyway, uh, this article reports that total domestic firearm sales should be around three uh, billion dollars uh, this year, two thousand and nine, and that's two to three times as much as is typically spent, according to an estimate derived from the Treasury excise taxes. Background checks over the last 12 months, which are a leading indicator of gun sales, were 50 percent higher than the levels reported during the middle years of uh, the past decade, which they're obviously talking about um, 2000. And uh, rising sales lighted a uh, fire to stocks of gunmakers, hence the uh, business angle of this article. With Smith & Wesson's shares uh, rising uh, 114%, while Sturm Ruger jumped 92%, and Cabela's, a hunting superstars, uh, superstore, gained 81%. So much for Barack Obama taking gun rights away from Americans. It's absolutely ridiculous. This, of course, is data uh, from last year based on estimates based on government statistics and uh, the stock prices of gun makers here in the United States. So don't believe uh, the hype on that. Now, another very bizarre or interesting story uh, that uh, came out last week, um, I have a couple of, uh, couple of things on this, uh, involves uh, Porter Goss. Uh, it was revealed by uh, Mark Mazzetti, that uh, Porter Goss did not approve the uh, dest destruction of the CIA tapes and was displeased after the New York Times reported on uh, Friday, April 16th, that Jose Rodriguez, the former head of the CIA's clandestine surface, um, approved the destruction of torture tapes uh, that were made by the CIA. Mazzetti writes, according to current and former intelligence officials, Mr. Goss did not approve the destruction before it happened and was displeased that Mr. Rodriguez did not consult him or the top CIA's lawyer before uh, giving the order. In other words, Rodriguez gave the order to destroy the tapes. It was previously uh, known that Mr. Goss had been told by his aides in November 2005 that the tapes had been destroyed. But the documents released Thursday, i.e. the 15th of uh, April, so-called tax day, provide the most detailed glimpse yet of the deliberations inside the CIA's um, surrounding the uh, destroyed tapes. Well, of course, these uh, tapes were um, uh, involved uh, videotaping torture uh, that was going on um, and... Uh, this uh, These tapes apparently occurred in Thailand back in 2002 in which videotaped interrogations of Abu Zadaya and uh, Abdul Rahim al-Nashiri, two al-Qaeda suspects uh, whom the CIA was holding in secret in that country, uh, these tapes were Detroit, uh, destroyed. And it says that more than 100 tapes were made and kept in a safe at the CIA station in Bangkok. Uh, interesting that there's been um, street violence and government protests in uh, Thailand recently. Needless to say, Thailand during the uh, Cold War was a very reliable 
uh, ally of the United States uh, regarding the wars in Indochina. It's interesting, for instance, that the secret bombing of Laos that uh, went on from 1962 to 1969, um, those flights originated out of Thailand, and uh, the media and journalists didn't even know about this for seven years because of the remote uh, area that was being uh, targeted uh, by uh, the CIA. Well, I have a little joke about the CIA. We can uh, relate this to inquisitions and torture. Uh, How interesting that in the June 22nd edition of The Nation magazine, in an article by Eduardo Galeno, um, he writes a uh, brief... uh, Um, analysis of the Catholic Church and torture and uh, related to uh, creating um, the concept of heaven and hell uh, in which uh, the Catholic Church came up with the concept of uh, convincing the public, and I'll just write this uh, because the article starts out with the origin of hell. The Catholic Church invented hell and the devil. The Old Testament makes no mention of the perpetual barbecue. (laughs) Neither do its pages feature an appearance of of a monster of sulfur. Think uh, volcano out there in Ashland, Iceland. Neither do the pages feature an appearance of monster reeking of sulfur who carries a trident and sports horns and a tail. But the church asks itself, what will become of reward without punishment? What will become of obedience without fear? And it wondered, what will become of God without the devil? And what will become with good without evil? So the church concluded that the threat of hell is more effective than the promise of heaven. And from then on, ministers and holy fathers have terrorized us with sermons about torture in the fiery abyss where the evil one reigns. Remember uh, Bush always talking about the evil one and good and evil and how America was good and Al-Qaeda was bad and evil, and indeed, uh, Al-Qaeda is bad and evil, but uh, it doesn't necessarily follow that Bush was good. But uh, here are the instruments that were created during the Inquisition uh, to uh, come up with torture, the barbed collar, the hanging cage, the iron gag that stifled unwanted screams, the saw that cut you in two uh, slowly, the finger-stretching tourniquet, the head-flattening tourniquet, the bone-breaking pendulum, a seat of pins, the long needle that perforated the devil's moles, the iron claw that shredded flesh, the pincers and tongs heated to a fiery red, the sarcophagus lined with sharp nails, the iron bed that extended until arms and legs got pulled apart out of their sockets, the whip with a knife or nail at the tip, a barrel stuffed with uh, fecal material, the shackles, the stocks, the block, the pillory, the gaff, the ball that swelled and tore the mouths of heretics, etc. Well, you get the ideas. Uh, That's in honor of the CIA destroying the tape. Uh, This is what went on. And uh, Edward Galino in this article in The Nation magazine notes that in 2002, and of course uh, 2002 uh, corresponds perfectly with the uh, CIA's activities under the Bush administration in Thailand, al-Qaeda leader in 2002, al-Qaeda leader Abin al-Shab al-Libi, was tortured until he confessed 
that Iraq had trained him in the use of chemical and biological weaponry. Immediately, the government of the United States joyfully brandished his words as proof that Iraq deserved to be invaded. Not long after, the truth came out. As usual, the tortured had said what the torturer wanted to hear. So when you hear uh, this continuing uh, debate occurring uh, in the United States regarding uh, torture, let's remember that the American government engaged in it, and it used the findings of its torture sessions to justify invading Iraq. And the architects of this policy uh, were high-ranking people uh, in the CIA, the vice president of the United States that continues to defend torture, and the former president of the United States, Mr. Bush, among others. Uh, scary stuff, but uh, sometimes the truth needs to be told. And while the videotapes uh, have been destroyed, um, that uh, list of uh, torture apparati that the Catholic Church employed uh, many, many centuries um, seems appropriate. Uh, thus, we can uh, rename the CIA the Catholic Inquisition, actually, or Catholicism in action. And this, of course, in no way, shape, or form uh, means that I am knocking Catholics. Uh, Catholicism has some good things to offer, but uh, torture, uh, finding witches and heretics, and creating uh, the concept of hell probably was not one of them and was part of a th theology that... Um, <clears throat> needs to be uh, rethought, re-examined, and uh, re-engineered. Uh, recently, I've been reading a book, I'm about mm, nine-tenths done with this book, called Virtual JFK, Vietnam if Kennedy Had Lived. This is an interesting analysis of a group of historians that had a uh, powwow, so to speak, um, in which a variety of officials, some journalists and some former members of uh, uh, the Kennedy and Johnson administrations, as well as a group of his, uh, 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 eminent historians on the subject, got together and discussed the, uh, the, the sort of what if, what if John F. Kennedy had not been assassinated uh, and would uh, he have deployed ground troops uh, into South Vietnam slash North Vietnam? Would he have undertaken uh, Operation Rolling Thunder that started in February of uh, 2000 and uh, February of 1965 and would he have been more skeptical of the uh, baloney and outright fraud because uh, that word's been in the news lately in connection with Goldman Sachs that the um, Navy, the American Navy apparently perpetrated in the Gulf of Tonkin uh, incident back in August of uh, 1964, that was essentially the green light, the congressional resolution that was rushed through Congress in an election year, very similar, I might add, and analogous to the uh, media uh, congressional operation of the Bush administration to get us to go to war in Iraq in 2002. A hasty uh, resolution was passed with uh, very little confirmation of uh, actual facts. But uh, one very interesting thing uh, in this book, uh, without going into the specifics of this book, because I think it's uh, very interesting, open-ended discussion, 
and is a, uh, I think, a sort of foreshadowing of how history may be taught in the future. In the future, to some extent, uh, one of the theories that they bring up uh, in uh, this so-called Musgrove Conference, which is where these historians, journalists, and former officials of the Johnson Kennedy administration convened, in which they debated this counterfactual. This was a theory of, of history that's been brought up recently, and they note that one of the eminent uh, proponents of it is uh, Neil Ferguson, who uh, currently teaches at Harvard, and by the way, has written some very interesting books on the history of uh, economics uh, as it relates to the uh, boom and bust cycles of capitalism and how we're in the pickle that we're in uh, currently. Wanted to, in that context, by the way, issue a quick brain damage award to the entire Republican Party uh, of the U.S. Senate. They are currently filibustering financial reform. Uh, they are siding with the Wall Street bankers and opposing regulation and then mischaracterizing um, what they're doing to the public. And it's, uh, it, it's amazing. Uh, the Tea Party movement keeps uh, asserting that they want to take Give us back our country. And I keep thinking, well, we took the country back from you people that uh, fouled up the country because it's now been revealed that 74 percent of the Tea Party people voted for Bush in 2004. Seventy percent of them voted for McCain in 2008. Twelve percent of them voted for Obama in 19 uh, uh, in 2008. And uh, interestingly, 30% of Americans have not yet heard of the Tea Party. And we'll talk about one of their uh, leading spokespeople uh, in a second. But there is a very interesting section in the book at the end, uh, in the uh, epilogue, where the historians pose the question, does it matter who is president? Question mark. And I've always argued that, of course, it does. And it has a nice little table of JFK, LBJ, and George W. Bush, in which their grasp of the issues is compared, uh, their uh, willingness to listen to criticism uh, is compared, the difficulty of the military task at hand is compared, the strategy is compared uh, in terms of the overall American strategy, who's in charge of the military, uh, who's in charge, what was their perspective on history, and how did they regard the enemy? And I wanted to compare uh, the uh, the three because I think it's very interesting because I think their analysis is uh, right on the money. On the issue of the grasp of the issues, JFK is uh, regarded as excellent, LBJ weak, George W. Bush poor. On the uh, willingness to accept criticism, JFK is uh, characterized as curious. Uh, LBJ is uh, characterized as intolerant, and so is George W. Bush. On the task at hand, uh, difficult, yes or no, JFK viewed the task in Vietnam as difficult. LBJ viewed it as doable. George Bush viewed the task in Iraq as easy. On the issue of strategy, JFK is characterized as minimalist, LBJ gradualist and George W. Bush maximalist, because his theory was that if we invade Iraq, other, quote, dominoes in the Middle East 
and the Near East will fall, the old uh, characterization of Pakistan, Afghanistan will fall, and America will merge triumphant. In regard to the military, who's, uh, how did they regard the military? JFK is uh, viewed as in charge, skeptical of the military. LBJ, uh, sort of out of his league and in fear of the military. George W. Bush is characterized as in cahoots with the military. On their view of history, which is, uh, of course, the sort of broad subject that this, uh, these historians were interested in, uh, JFK is characterized as tragic, LBJ as hopeful, George Bush heroic. In other words, it gets back to this concept of good and evil that I just uh, uh, brought out in that uh, Nation article. And as for the enemy, JFK regarded the Viet, uh, Viet Cong as strong. Uh, LBJ viewed them as beatable, and George W. Bush, Bush viewed the enemy as evil. So that's an interesting chart in which, uh, well, it's, uh, I won't go into the, all the details of how this chart emerged, but I thought that the analysis of those three presidents is very uh, uh, accurate. And it's quite fascinating to me, by the way, that uh, Barack Obama resembles JFK more in his overall approach to things on, on lots of issues. I don't think... Uh, for instance, I wouldn't call him intolerant of dissent. I think he's, for instance, when he escalated in Afghanistan this past year, it sounds like he took his time. He took a lot of views. He allowed there to be open debate. And uh, he certainly doesn't have a heroic view of history. I don't know that it's tragic. Um, I wouldn't call it hopeful, but I would call it realistic. And it will be interesting to see how this uh, progresses. One final note regarding George W. Bush, uh, as uh, my reliable engineer is letting me know, we have about five minutes left in the show. The clock on the wall is stuck at 1044. <laughs> so I don't know what time it is. Do you know what time it is? Uh, anyway, one very interesting little item about the... Uh, uh, George Bush thing, although this Bush, this book is mainly uh, about Vietnam. Virtual JFK, Vietnam, if Kennedy had lived. Very interesting book. Um, there's also a little bit of a uh, sort of analogy towards uh, um, uh, Afghanistan and the historians that compiled this book that participated at the uh, Musgrove Conference is what they call it. It was basically a sort of a powwow of intellectuals. James Blight, uh, Bill Moyers, by the way, was one of them. Uh, Janet M. Lang and David Welch compiled this, and it's called a companion to the film by Koji uh, Masutani. So there may be something out on the web in connection with this uh, Musgrove conference, and I uh, regard this as a very interesting book. But anyway, uh, as the war, the march to war in Iraq was uh, continuing to be organized from a sort of propaganda, selling the product perspective that the Bush administration had been engaged in for quite some time, uh, let's remember that Dick Cheney uh, on uh, CNN's late edition on the 24th of March 2002, uh, almost uh, a year to the day when the war started, stated, this man, Saddam Hussein, is a man of great evil, 
as the president said, and Cheney told his interviewer that, quote, he's actively pursuing nuclear weapons at this time. No qualifications there, just an outright assertion. And, of course, uh, Colin Powell showed up at the U.N. in February of 2005 with the infamous vial of anthrax, although obviously it wasn't anthrax. It was probably talc powder. The Iraqis continued to deny the charges regarding the weapons of mass destruction. Fundamentally, it didn't matter, and I'm quoting from the book now. The Bush and Blair administrations had for more than a year been planning to attack Iraq. The chief U.N. weapons inspector, Hans Blix, demanded more time to search for the evidence of the Iraqi capabilities and intentions. But the invasion was being driven by military readiness, not the findings of the Blix inspectors. On February 22, 2003, George W. Bush informed Spanish Prime Minister Jose Maria Anzar during a conversation at Bush's ranch in Crawford, Texas, quote, in two weeks we'll be militarily ready. We'll be in Baghdad by the end of March. When Anzar urged Bush to, quote, have a little patience, Bush replied, my patience has run out. I won't go beyond mid-March. There you have it, further evidence of the uh, sort of obsession that George Bush had with going to war in Iraq and the disastrous consequences. The Iraq war, uh, incidentally, has cost American taxpayers approximately what the estimates are on the uh, the health insurance reform bill uh, that is uh, listed roughly at uh, $875 billion over a 10-year period. So it's about $87 billion a year. We're spending that in Iraq every year. Obama is withdrawing the troops slowly, but too slowly. And, of course, there was uh, more uh, news out of Iraq today with Biden trumpeting the uh, capture and killing of two top al-Qaeda in Iraq suspects. Uh, They'll be replaced tomorrow, and uh, hopefully Obama will fulfill his campaign pledge and continue on uh, with the withdrawal. It's also interesting that a a, a court in Iraq uh, just uh, recently uh, ruled that there must be a hand recount of the recent elections that occurred in Iraq in which former Prime Minister Maliki, or excuse me, uh, Maliki is the current Prime Minister, but um, the former Prime Minister uh, won a marginal election. Speaking of elections, there's an election coming up in Britain in a couple of weeks, and this past week they had televised debates, apparently, uh, for the prime minister's position for the first time in British history. That's a sort of (coughs) interesting emulation of the American system, even though the British system is a parliamentary system. And it's fascinating that the liberal Democrat, according to the media analysis, quote, did the best. The only thing that's saving Gordon Brown is that uh, during the uh, march to war in Iraq, this has not become a big issue in the British campaign uh, because Gordon Brown was uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, essentially the equivalent of Secretary of the Treasury, and he was not involved in this sort of bizarre uh, lapdog activity that the British government was involved in. Uh, Needless to say, in the book about Vietnam, it's extensively reported about Britain's uh, opposition uh, interestingly, to America's 
um, build up to the Vietnam War in which top advisors are telling LBJ that the, quote, British agree with the French, uh, that this is a big mistake and that you should stay out. Of course, the French had their own disaster.